Best Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f*** you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f***ing Put that in. I don't So the Tribe drops its third straight on this trip. Six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we've got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Talk about the past, talk about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I would know, but I would say the reason why they want to ask is baseball going into the baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this team sucks. Well, he is out. He's out. Yes, Brady is out. Look at this. Brady is out. And uh, David Mack. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. It's been run cleaner than any baseball business ever put out in the hundred years of the present time. Sell the team. Oh, yeah. From the CSB Studios in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey, on the MTR Radio Network. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLE.com. Coming at you another Thursday from 5 to 7 p.m. on the MTR Radio Network. Don't forget, if you're not listening from your home computer, you can download the iPhone and Android apps. Just search MTR Radio. Get all the programming we have here on this radio station 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Lots of great shows coming on. You know, either before me, after me, different days like that. But a uh, great show planned today. Lots of things to go over, dude. I'm going to touch on so many different things going on in baseball. I'm going to start off in a couple minutes. We'll talk about Ugeth Urbina a little bit. I got my, uh, my mock call of fame vote of what it would be, who I, who I think would get in, who shouldn't get in. Um, we got some stuff going on. I want to talk about Josh Gibson. We're going to talk about the Hanrahan trade with the – Boston Red Sox and what direction that puts them in. And also I have a couple guests. Um, Mets uh, left-hand pitcher Rob Carson is going to be joining me in about maybe eight minutes or so, 5.15 or so. We'll talk a little Mets baseball, see where he's at, see what's going on as far as uh, his preparation for the 2013 season. Uh, later on, Matt Antonelli, who's a uh, utility player and infielder, most recently played in the New York Yankees organization. We'll be, we'll be on to talk a little bit about that. I do have a couple other guests that I'm working on. If they end up calling in you know, or I get any, uh, any signal that there's a definitive answer, I'll definitely uh, let you guys know. But you know, right now, Rob Carson, Matt Antonelli, you know, as you know, the past ball show, always getting guests in here, always getting people calling in you know, to talk baseball because, let's be honest, that's what I love. That's what I love to do. If I ain't, if I ain't friggin' talking about it, I'm writing about it. I'm friggin' watching it. I'm reading it. Dude, this is my life, man. So, you know, don't even don't even think about messing with it. But I will give you guys an opportunity. Call in sometime in the second hour of the show. I'll give you the call-in number. You can let me know whatever's on your mind. But I'm going to start out with something interesting that you hear, heard happen the other day um, in regards to Ugeth Urbina. Uh, you know, long-time closer. You know, got the last out of the 2003 World Series for the Florida Marlins when they won their last World Series championship. Uh, obviously ended up falling on some bad times, ended up in prison, 
was supposed to serve for, uh, something like 12 to 14 years for attempted murder, uh, where, where he ended up almost, you know, almost killing a bunch of his whatever it was, workers or people that were working for him with gasoline and machetes and stuff like that. And the Venezuelan prison ends up lead, letting him out because of good behavior. I think it's kind of crazy, man. And, you know, whatever. I don't know if their laws are different, but, you know, if you if you try to kill a large group of people and, you know, from what we, what we hear, there was about, you know, 20, 20 to 40 people there that he was out there essentially trying to slaughter. And this guy is uh, free from prison. Obviously brings the weird question. You go for something so graphic and so so intense talking about murder and stuff like that to talking about, Hey, should a guy make a comeback in the major leagues? And let's be honest, dude, the guy's career was over the second that he committed that horrendous crime. And, you know, we still don't know to this day exactly what happened. Did, did anybody end up dying? Uh, apparently not because he ended up going to jail for attempted murder. So we're not talking about something that, you know, ended up uh, killing somebody. But the bottom line, what he did was was horrendous and in the Venezuelan law required him to serve a larger sentence than he ended up serving. So from from that perspective, I don't even agree with him being let out of prison, let alone pitch another major league game. And I don't know, is there a team out there that's gonna gonna take a flyer on him? Well listen, I mean I'm sure the guy's in good shape, you know, after spending, you know, five and a half years in prison. So I'm sure the guy is not uh, you know, probably isn't overweight. You know, he's probably in good shape. You get a chance to work out there. What else are you going to do in prison for five and a half years? So I'm sure he's in good shape, but I, I, I doubt he's throwing much of a baseball. You know, he hasn't been out there throwing a baseball around and uh, working on his curveball. But Major League Baseball, and we've talked all the time about all the different players, whether it's Daryl Strawberry, Dwight Gooden, Steve Howe, and the list goes on and on. All players that have had issues not related to the game of baseball have been given a second chance. Does it apply to a guy like Uget Urbina? Should he get another chance to pitch in a major league game? And I'm going to say the odds are he probably will if he wants to. Now, he was 33 when he ended up going to jail. Now he is about, what, 38, turning 39? So he's let go a certain part of his career, which could have been considered a good portion of his prime to his peak. And now he comes back as an old man. Is he worth a minor league contract? Like we talk about all the time, this time of year, you know, a lot of the free agents are gone. There's some still on the board, but this is when teams start to think of guys to take a chance on guys to give a little bit of a flyer to and say, all right, you'll invite you to major league camp. If you don't make the team, it's not a bad decision because we can just cut bait with you. Is a team going to go out there and offer Uget there being a contract? And I, honestly, I, I have no idea. I would I would lean towards no if it was my decision. But I also know the way this game works. I also know the way that a lot of teams and a lot of players have been given second, third, fourth, and fifth chances when they probably shouldn't have gotten it. And they've gone out there and given themselves, you know, gotten another chance to pitch, play, do what they love to do. But in regards to Uget Urbina, listen, I, I mean, I, I don't condone at all what he did. And I'm actually kind of down on it. But this guy is released from prison because of good behavior. And I guarantee it. I, I hate to even guarantee it because I don't really want to. This is not something that I'm saying 
that I believe in my heart because I want it to happen. But let's be honest. There's going to be a team that's going to say, hey, what did this guy do in 2003? What did this guy do a little later on when he was helping the Phillies out while they were trying to get in the playoffs? Give the guy a chance. And I see the guy getting a chance. Listen, will he ever pitch in a major league game? I have no answer for that. I really don't. But mark my words, Ugeth Urbina will be pitching for somebody in spring training, whether it's in Florida, whether it's in Arizona. He's going to be working out for some team. And unless the guy is absolutely finished with his major league career and has decided on his own terms that he's done, he'll get another opportunity. He will get another opportunity. But lots more to go. Past ball show, MTR Radio Network. Uh, do want to touch up in a little bit. And like I said, we got two hours to go over this. We're going to bring in some phone calls in a little bit. But um, I did a, an article the other day about Nellie Fox and why or asked a pretty much a question of why it took him so long to get in the Hall of Fame. We'll touch on that. The Mets went out there and got themselves a relief pitcher, maybe for some AAA depth, maybe to compete for a fifth starter spot in rotation, signing Aaron Laffey, the Yankees. Brian Batten, their lineup, particularly in the outfield, signed Matt Diaz to a minor league contract. We'll touch on that. Uh, Hideki Matsui announcing his retirement. So a lot, a lot of different things going on. And we still, have, we still have a small class of free agents that are out there that haven't been signed yet. We still have some players that are rumored to be on the market and potentially traded and haven't been traded yet. So I think between now and the end of January, a lot of this stuff's going to iron itself out. And it hasn't right now, but I think it's going to. So there's a lot of, lot of different scenarios. You know, you want to say, hey, what team is going to be best with Michael Bourne? You know, Nick Swisher signs with the Indians. What does that mean for a guy like Justin Upton? How bad do the Arizona Diamondbacks want to trade him? And I think that's what it's going to come down to. And if I had a guess on that one, I would say that Justin Upton starts next season with the Arizona Diamondbacks because I don't think they want to trade him. I really don't think so. But we'll have to see what happens. There's, there are some other options out there. And I talked before about a guy like Corey Hart helping either the Mets or the Yankees. Uh, certainly a guy that probably will cost you a little bit. But at the same time, teams could probably uh, take solace in the fact that he's on the last year of his contract. So, you know, if you trade for Corey Hart with the Milwaukee Brewers, you're not guaranteeing that you're going to have the guy for the next two, three, four, five years. And I think that all being said, that might drop the price tag down a little bit. But at the same time, you talk about what the Milwaukee Brewers would want to trade him for or why they would want to trade him. You know, right now there's no Prince Fielder. He's been gone for a while now. You talk about Ryan Braun, some of the other bats they have in the lineup. Corey Hart is still a middle-of-the-order presence if he's not batting number two. Why would they want to trade him? And I don't really have much of an answer to that. So maybe the Brewers don't. A guy that I really do think will be on the market, and I've mentioned this before on previous shows, is outfielder Michael Morse of the Washington Nationals. And I do think probably within the next week or so we'll find out that uh, Adam LaRoche, who is going to decide where he ends up wanting to play, and I believe it's going to be the Washington Nationals. He's going to come back on a two- or three-year deal, whatever they end up deciding at. And he's going to be their everyday first baseman. And this is a team that added Denard Spann. They're going to move Bryce Harper over to left field. They still got Jason Worth and his, you know, 100 years left on his contract. 
to fill out their outfield. That's going to leave Michael Morse without a place to play. And I doubt that Michael Morse is going to be a platoon player. I doubt Michael Morse is going to be a guy that's going to fill in and be a fourth outfielder. To me, I don't see that. I don't see the Nationals going into spring training, let alone the regular season, with Michael Morse on their team if they sign Adam LaRoche. Yeah, and somebody said, hey, he could play a little bit of first base. No, that doesn't matter. Adam LaRoche, if he's on your team, he's your everyday first baseman. Look at what he did last year. The guy plays a phenomenal defense at a premium position and hits for some power. The Nationals had no reason to give the guy a day off or that many days off last season. They're not going to all of a sudden change their plan and go different here. Michael Morse is going to be out there. But the question is, do the Nationals trade him for that word that I hate, that hideous, hideous, hideous word, prospects? And God, I can't stand saying that on my show. But did the Nationals decide to add a couple pieces to their farm system and maybe get you know the cream out of some of the other teams' crop to try to you know, trade their outfielder to a place that he could play every day? That's very interesting. We'll see how it works out. I really I don't have an answer. But I do see Michael Morse, you know, uh, an extremely, extremely possible trade candidate and a team that I've said all along would be a perfect fit. And, of course, you'd have to make the match. You'd have to see what this other team will want to give to the Nationals to appease them, to make it worth making a trade. But can you imagine Michael Morse's bat at, at, at the new Yankee Stadium? I think that would be a phenomenal addition and you could talk about an offseason that hasn't necessarily gone uh, the quote-unquote Yankee way. You know, there's not money flying all over the place. Yes, they've retained a lot of their guys on one-year contracts. Each row's back for a second year, for two years. But they haven't gone out there and been in it when it comes to the Josh Hamiltons and the Zach Greinke's and, and the guys that you would consider top free agents the Yankees were not in it for. But an offseason that's been a little... You know, not Yankee-like, and and listen, it was all it was all premeditated. We all understood that it was probably going to be this way. But an off-season that has not been so great can all of a sudden get kicked off with a bang if they had Michael Morse. Here's a guy who's going to come back, come into your lineup. He's definitely a middle of the order presence, even on the Yankees, and a team that's missing a Rod. You don't know what kind of power you're going to get out of Kevin Euclid. Your outfield right now outside of Curtis Granderson, who's going to hit you your 40 home runs, is not going to hit for any power. Ichiro is going to give you 5 to 10. The only time Ichiro is going to hit a home run is there's a 3-0 pitch that he's going to swing for the fences at. And that's not his style. It was never his style. But he doesn't have the raw power he did when he first started his career. And Brett Gardner, come on, he's not a home run hitter. What do the Yankees need at Yankee Stadium? It's more home run hitters. And I think a deal could be worked out between the Nationals and the New York Yankees to get Michael Morse playing left field for the Yankees next season. And honestly, you look at an offseason that has been for a lot of Yankee fans, and I talk to them all the time. They tell me how disappointed they are, how much they want Brian Cashman to go out there and get this guy and that guy and make this move and make that move. But the truth is, it's not going to happen this year. But if you could go out and you could go get a Michael Morse, and add him to a lineup that I think is getting better, that I think could, you know, is has actually gotten worse, needs to get better. Let me correct what I just said. A lineup that doesn't really look so good right now. Then I think it changes the outlook for a lot of Yankee fans. 
So chew on that for a little bit. We're going to take a little bit of a break. We'll be back with a lot more going on the past ball show right here on the MTR Radio Network. Hey everyone, this is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android Market and iPhone App Store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> MTR Radio. Welcome to mtrradio.com. You can listen to our live programming Monday through Friday. Get your voice heard by calling us at 609-910-0687 and on Facebook and Twitter at MTR Radio. Thanks for tuning in to mtrradio.com. Check out the Android Marketplace and iPhone App Store for the MTR Radio app. 24-7 streaming live and on demand. MTR. Oh, yeah. Welcome back. Past Ball Show on TR Radio Networks. John Pielli. Uh Lots to go over, like I said, man. We started off, we talked a little bit about uh, what the, the best option to be, uh, you know, for the Yankees to go out there and get themselves an outfielder. Uh, definitely a lot more things to go over. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on the Mets a little bit. And, you know, we talk about this offseason. And, uh, you know, it's been a little, little bit of a kind of a carbon copy of the last two which for most fans that want to see action, they want to see their team improve, you have to say it's been a disappointment. Now, obviously a lot of you guys listening will be like, oh, well, listen, I'm a Mets fan, and I love the R.A. Dickey trade for Travis Darno. And, you know, remember we got Wheeler a couple of years ago. But when you're looking at the reason to be excited for right now, and that's what I'm talking about, there isn't a lot. You could say, hey, let's look to the future. And the future does look bright, let's be honest. You know, there's a lot of good young players in the Mets organization. Some have been up at the major league level, whether it's Matt Harvey, whether it's Ike Davis, whether, you know, others will join the team this year. It's a, it's a lot to be excited about for the future. But in the present, it sucks. And let's be honest, and I'm going to put I'm going to put the picture of what it's like to be me for a second. Because I'm I'm a, I'm a Mets fan. And I'm not going to say I'm a better Mets fan than any other any other one out there. There's a lot of Mets fans that, you know, are good for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of Mets fans that are better fans than me because they believe certain things. There's there's reasons that I'm better than them because I believe certain things. But I I go out there every March and I spend a week to 10 days to Port St. Lucie, Florida. And I go there and I, I watch my games. I, you know, look through my stats. I enjoy my time down there. Yes, it's a vacation, but it's also something that I do. And I go out there every opening day on April whatever or March whatever, wherever the Mets start since 2003, I am at, at that game. If the Mets don't have a home opener, if they start on the road, I take a road trip. The Mets' plan for the future may be the greatest thing to ever happen to this organization, but doesn't do shit for the present. And all I want, and before you get me wrong, all I want is something to look forward to in the present. 
not wait until May 18th when the Mets will br- may bring up Zach Wheeler and Travis Darno. I want something for the present to say, hey, this may not be an all-star player, but he's a pretty good player, and he's joining the team that I root for. And I, I don't, I don't know. For some people, they can't, they can't get that. But honestly, from my perspective, that's what I'm asking for. I'm not asking for Josh Hamilton or Zach Granke or Albert Pujols or Prince Fielder or Jose Reyes. I'm not asking for a player that's going to cost a fortune. I'm asking to be sold on a new outfielder, perhaps a starting pitcher, perhaps a reliever that I can at least say has some upside and if he plays or pitches to the top of their performance, then this team could be better than we we think. And let's be honest, there's nobody that's expecting the Mets to surprise anybody this year. This is not the the, the version of the Miracle Mets of 1969. They're not going to come out of nowhere and finish first place. The rest of the division's gotten better. Maybe for the exception of the Miami Marlins, but I, 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 don't, I don't see the Mets leaps and bounds better than the Miami Marlins right now. They could be, and they could get there pretty quickly. But you look at the Mets outfield, and anybody that says, hey, it's going to be better in the future, I will ask you this one question. What do the Mets have in their farm system that you, makes you excited about the future of their outfield? They don't, they're not just running three guys out there to hold places for blue chip, ugh, I hate saying this word, prospects that are coming up in a couple of years. Brandon Nimmo is probably another couple of years away. I mean, I saw him down in Brooklyn. Listen, he's not necessarily tearing a cover off the ball. And, and that's a you know that that that's pretty much one of the the lower levels of the minor leagues. I'd at least like to see him up in Savannah or St. Lucie or Binghamton before we can make a decision of whether or not you know what kind of path this guy's going to have to the major leagues. Right now, it's at least a couple of years. I mean, we're talking 2015 at the very earliest right now. And if he's considered the Mets' best outfield prospect then I don't see why the Mets can't go out there and just do something. And I've mentioned before on other you know, other shows <clears throat> where I've talked about all different options, guys you could trade for, guys you could sign, and maybe not have to spend a lot of money and maybe not destroy your farm system and go out there and, may, and make a move and put somebody out there that could hit a little bit. Maybe a good all-around center fielder. Maybe a, a Dexter Fowler. Maybe a Peter Borges. Maybe somebody like that. But in, in the meantime, what do you what do you got to look for? And I've said this before: Lucas Duda, Kurt Neuenheis, Mike Baxter. You want to throw in a Colin Cowgill as a righty platoon for somebody? What does that sell you? How do you get sold on that? How is how is that encouraging on any level? To say that they're going to have competitive bats or gloves for that matter. Because none of them necessarily tear it up in the field. 
Mike Baxter is known for the catch he made in a Santana no-hitter, but he's not a ridiculously good defensive outfielder. Kirk Neuenheis can play center field. Yes, but he's not an all-star center fielder. And, and we don't even have to get into Lucas Duda. All I got to do is mention his name, and you know how bad defensively he is. So that all being said, all I'd like to see is something. And I've said it all along. Something. Give me something. Can you do that? Can you sell me on something? Can you give me some reason to be excited about this coming season? Because I know all our all our stat heads and our prospect freaks are all excited because the Mets moved up from whatever, from uh from twenty sixth to you know, sixteenth in a league and best farm systems. But that doesn't mean crap. It doesn't mean nothing. Right now it's telling you that the team's going to be bad. And I just want one reason. Bring in a player or two somewhere that I could tell you has some upside and could improve the team in a certain place that they lacked production last year. And I haven't seen that yet. Moving on, because I don't want to end up getting angry here. But I will open up the phone lines if you guys want to call in, 609-910-0687. We get you right up on the program if you want to call in. Now, that's going on. I do want to kind of switch gears a little bit, and I do want to talk about the trade between the Boston Red Sox and the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I kind of hit it on it a little bit earlier, maybe yeah, sometime during the season in one of my blogs. And don't forget to check it out. Bases Empty blog on johnpielli.com. Or check out mtrmedia.com slash John Pielli. And you can check out my blog on there. I post to it just about every day. Something along the lines of baseball. But the Hanrahan trade to the Red Sox. My question is, what does it do for the Pirates? And I think my, my opinion has changed a little bit from what it was before. I looked at it as a Pirates, as, as a team that was starting to build a core of players together. Players that were improving, players that were getting to a point where they could compete, they could get themselves back to 500, which obviously the last two or three years we thought it was going to happen and it didn't. They're, they're built around Andrew McCutcheon. They went out there and made a couple trades for some veterans, getting A.J. Burnett, getting Wandy Rodriguez, bringing in some other veterans in different spots. And they got this closer, Joel Hanrahan. He's throwing gas, making the all-star team. And my point last year was how can you trade a person, a player that's a core of your team while you're trying to compete? And then the rest of Hanrahan's season went on. And it looked like you lost a little bit of velocity. It looks like you lost a little bit of command. He was walking more hitters than he, than he did before. And by the conclusion of the season, the Pittsburgh Pirates realized the same thing that I did and a lot of other people did, is that Joel Hanrahan probably was not as dominant as he was coming into last season. So now that the Pirates go and they trade him to the Boston Red Sox, I actually think it was a good move for him. You know, it turns out it's a player, a two-for-four trade, involves Jerry Sands, who's a highly touted outfielder, formerly at the Dodgers organization. They got a they got a uh, Yvonne, Yvonne uh, De Jesus Jr. 
another another uh damn I hate saying this word prospect so they they do get a little better maybe not if not immediately but they do cash in and they actually got a good package for Joel Hanran now you look at him from the other perspective of what is what is he doing what is what can he do for the Boston Red Sox and I actually think that he becomes the final piece of a very, very interesting offseason for the Boston Red Sox. We've spoken about it before, how the Red Sox ended up trading a lot of money with Carl Crawford's contract, the Adrian Gonzalez contract, Josh Beckett's contract. They dumped a ton of money in payroll. And the Boston Red Sox did exactly what I said they were going to do. They were going to retool their team. They were going to make different moves, and they were going to bring different players in, and they were going to change the look of the team. And let's be honest, if you look at what it looks like at the end of last season, I think there's reasons, if you're a Boston Red Sox fan, to be excited about this coming season. You know, David Ross, who could be an everyday catcher, but you still got Salta Lamakia there. So you do got two catchers who can hit. Ross is obviously known as a better defensive player and certainly hits left-hand pitching very well. They went out there and they got Johnny Gomes. He might be a poor man's Cody Ross, you know, a guy who hits left-hand pitching. He might excel in Boston because of the ballpark and everything, similarly to the way Ross excelled last year and got himself his contract. Shane Victorino. I have never been a huge fan of Shane Victorino. But what he does, he brings you some defense. He hits a little bit. He's got some speed. He's got a little bit of power. And he can lengthen your lineup in certain ways. Whether he's a one-hitter, a two-hitter, or a six-hitter, a seven-hitter, or an eight-hitter. He's always a tough out. So you add him to the mix. Now, Mike Napoli. They did sign him to that three-year contract. It may be getting voided soon. We don't know how that's going to turn out. But let's say Mike Napoli's part of the mix. You had a guy who hit 325 in 2011. I know his batting average dropped over 100 points this past season. You're going to play him at first base. <clears throat> Maybe DH him on a day that David Ortiz doesn't play. But you know you hope that David Ortiz is going to be out there 100, you know, 150, 160 games. But I do think that overall this team got better. And you add in J.D. Drew. I'm sorry, Stephen Drew. <coughs> and I'm, I might have gotten confused because Stephen Drew is wearing J.D. Drew's former number seven. But Stephen Drew comes in there to play shortstop. And his upside of what he has done at his best certainly is worth the risk. Maybe not at $10 million. Maybe $10 million for a one-year contract was too much for the guy. I may buy that. But these same people that complain about contracts all the time have no concept of what Major League Baseball contracts and pro sports contracts are like. Every player is overpaid. And their agents go out there and get them the most possible money. So if they could get more money from somewhere, they're going to go somewhere. So I'm not going to hear about these, these contracts. Oh, my God, he pays so much money for him. Because every team does it. No matter what team you are, you're going to overpay for somebody in some instance. 
But I do like what the Red Sox have done. I think they've retooled their team to a point where it's going to be different. The team that lost 93 games last season does not did not look anything like it does right now. And you add Ryan Dempster to the rotation. And who knows how Ryan Dempster is going to pitch in the American League, the American League East and everything. That could be said about that. He's had a lot of success in Chicago with the Cubs and you know, was prom- prominently a National League pitcher. Had some tough time in Texas when he was traded. at the trading deadline last year. But he's a good pitcher. He's not a great pitcher. He's a good pitcher. He's serviceable. He's going to more than likely be healthy. He's more than likely going to go out there and pitch 170 innings, 180 innings, maybe 200 innings. And if he does, then it gives some depth to the rotation. You got Clay Buckholz. You got John Lester. You know, you can even throw John Lackey in there. Uh, Felix DeBrant had a phenomenal year last year. He definitely emerged himself. So you add the two veterans of Dempster and Lackey to what's a younger and growing staff with Buckholz and Lester and DeBrant. I think the Red Sox can, can compete. I really do. I could see this team competing next season. And if, and if they do... You know, what's what's to say that they won't? I mean, look at the rest of the division. Have the Yankees gotten mar- marginally better? Not really. You could say at the very least the Yankees are what they were at the end of last season. And that's at the best. That's at the very, very best. Yes, the Blue Jays won the back pages, or they won the, the pennant of the offseason, getting Reyes and Burley and Josh Johnson and R.A. Dickey and Melky Cabrera. They won the offseason, but what does history tell about the team that won the offseason? Usually doesn't say a lot. Puts a big bullseye on their back. And I tell you, the American League East, you still have the Yankees, you still have Baltimore and what they did last year. You still have the Tampa Bay Rays, who are one of the best-run organizations in Major League Baseball. And you got all those teams in the same division. So, I mean, would it surprise anybody if the Blue Jays went out there and won 80 or 82 games this year? I mean, shock if they went out there and won 70, if they went 70 and 92, like they did last year, it would surprise a lot of people. And those same people that wouldn't be surprised to see the Blue Jays go out there and win 100 games will not be surprised if the Blue Jays go out there and finish 500. It's such a long season. You don't know how these things are going to play out. We talked about teams last year like the Miami Marlins and everything they did to bring in the players that they brought in with the new stadium and a new manager and a whole new identity. What did it do for them last year? Nothing. And every year you can make that case that a team that went out there and made the big moves and made their fans happy by going out there and doing what they had to do. I'm going to put that on hold for a second. We're going to welcome this caller. Welcome to the Pass Ball Show. Who we got on the air? Hey, uh, this is Matt Antonelli. Hey, what's going on, Matt? Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Oh, no problem at all. How you doing? Yeah, pretty good, man. Sorry, hey, how was your holidays? All right? Yeah, it was very good. You good? Yeah, yeah, very good, man. Hey, so uh, once again, uh, past ball show, John Pielli got Matt Antonelli on in the air, and he uh, 
was uh, has been bouncing around a couple different organizations. If I'm not mistaken, most recently was in the Yankees farm system last year, right? Yes, I was. I started in Baltimore last year and then got sent over to New York uh, towards the end of May. All right. So uh, what, what are you up to now? Are you, you getting prepared for the upcoming season? Yeah, basically been working out, getting ready. Um, I should be signing with the team pretty shortly. I think everything's settled. I just got to go over some final stuff. So just waiting to hear the word on that. And um, hopefully everything works out there. And we'll get out in February to spring training. Hopefully uh, do well out there and see kind of where that takes me this year. Yeah, no question, man. Now, how, how, does, how does that go for you? Because, uh, you know, I always, I always kind of try to put myself in somebody like your shoes. You know, you're 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 in the off season. Obviously, you you, be, you become a free agent at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Is there is there a lot of anxiety as far as like what kind of team would want you and what kind of role? Now, when when it comes to that, is is it is it a situation where you're looking to just latch on to a team that wants you, or is there a certain thing that you're looking for as a free right. agent? That's you know, like like you are now. Yeah, it kind of changes over the years. I mean, when I was younger. Um, and I became a free agent for the first time back in 2010. Um, I talked with a lot of teams, and you know, I could be a little bit more picky with, with uh, where I went and what situation I thought was the best situation for me. And then, again, last year I kind of had the same thing where I was coming off a good season. So I was looking for a place where I thought you know, I could step into AAA, contribute, and hopefully get a chance to, to, um, to make a big league roster either during spring training or hopefully during the year at some point. Uh, this year was a little different because I struggled last year and I was hurt for a decent amount. So uh, I didn't have as many teams uh, knocking at the door, I guess, this year. So, um, you know, I kind of went through the same process, just you're doing it with a lot less teams than, than I was used to doing it in the past. But I guess I'm still still looking for, you know, an opportunity where I can go get at bats, show them that I'm healthy, and, and hopefully if I have a, a good season, um, I'll be able to contribute at the big league level at some point. Yeah, no question, man. Now, as, as as you look through it, is it a situation where you're just, you know, maybe going out there and playing for whatever team you're playing for, but you're also playing for the other teams as well? Right, absolutely. I think that's something that is stretched to us um, throughout our minor league careers is that, you know, hopefully we have a chance with the team that we're on uh, to make their big league club. But at the same time, like you said, you're auditioning basically for 30 teams because scouts are in the – uh, in the stands every game from other teams watching players and uh, the opposing manager and, and their coaches are also scouting players. So uh, this will be, well, I don't even know how many teams, but this will be my fifth team, I think. Um, so basically my entire career has been an audition for, for all of these teams. And I guess that's kind of the same way with everybody. We're always, I guess you never really know who's watching, so you want to try to play as well as you can uh, every day, basically. Yeah, and I guess spring spring training is kind of important too because you know you see all you know all these all these other teams are coming in. You're going to different places, whether you're in Arizona or Florida. That you know, listen, you you go out there and you you not you knock out you know whatever two for two or three for three, and you put make a couple good plays in the field. Not only are you impressing the team that you're you're playing for, but you know the opponents watching, and there's other you know there's other teams that are coming and going and stuff like that. So you you, you know what what you do in spring training you know, certainly gets, uh, I think, magnified a little more than, let's say, you know, if you were if you were during a regular season playing, you know, uh, you know, in AAA somewhere. I think, um, you know, for the guys, for, for the, you know, the so-called all-stars and guys that have been in the big leagues for a long time, 
you know, they use spring training more as just a, a way to get ready for the season. But for guys in the minor leagues or guys in my shoes that have kind of been at AAA for a while and got a, you know, a tiny taste of the big leagues, but is trying to get back there, um, you know, there's spring training really isn't the same for us. It's not a time to just go in and feel your way through it and get ready for the season. But like you said, um, you know, someone is always watching and you don't know who's watching and, you know, I could go out there and have a good few days and who knows you could get traded for. Uh, if you happen to become a free agent, maybe somebody will remember that day in spring training where you look really good. Uh, and the same thing can happen. If you look really bad, you might get crossed off. Your name might get crossed off and, and maybe that team won't look at you down the road. So every game, even though spring training stats technically don't count, somebody's always evaluating you. Yeah, no question about it. Now, as, as, as you know, you, I obviously came up, you were a first round draft pick in 2006. Mm-hmm. Has, in your opinion, and, and this might be a tough question to ask you, yep. do you think that things have gone as well as you would have hoped from going back to 2006 when you were drafted? Uh, nope, I would not say so. Um, you know, being being a first-round pick, I think most people uh, think that, you know, all first-round picks are going to be 10- to 12-year all-stars. And, um, but, you know, that's the way it kind of works in football, where if you're a first-round pick, you're expected to immediately go up and uh, make a big contribution to the team. Baseball is a little bit different. I don't know the exact stats, but I think it's, you know, 50% of all first-round picks um, – just 50% even get a taste of the big leagues. And I think it's something like 20 or 30% stick for more than three years. So it's a different sport. And, you know, when you're getting drafted, you're still a long ways away from the big leagues. But even with all that being said, you know, my expectations for myself being drafted, no matter what round I went in, um, you know, I thought that I could be a big league player and I was hoping to have a long career there. And obviously it hasn't done exactly how I would have hoped so far, but, yeah, I'm still 27 years old, and right now I'm just taking it basically day by day, trying to stay healthy, and uh, I haven't had the best of luck with that so far in my career. But if I can stay healthy and stay on the field, um, I think that I have the talent to, to be able to get to the big league and stay there. But, you know, I have to I have to show it and I have to prove it. It's, uh, you know, I've said it for the last few years, and obviously it hasn't happened. So i got to go out there and perform and, uh, you know, hopefully have a little luck on my way as well and get up there and hopefully step. Yeah, no question. Now, now, do you think that injuries or being in the wrong place at the wrong time have been tougher for you as, as the uh, years have gone on? I think it's been a little different each year. I think injuries have been the main thing. Um, you know, also performance has been, you know, back, I think back to 2008, I had come off a very good year in 07 where, uh, it was my first full season, and I thought maybe I'd get a chance to get called up, and it didn't happen. And I came back in 08 um, in a situation where I thought that if I played well, I'd definitely get called up, and I played really poorly in AAA. And I still got my call up that year, but I, I didn't play anywhere close to how I should have played. And um, so some of it's been performance-based. If I played better, I would have probably been in a much better situation. And, you know, obviously I've had some injury things in 2010. I missed the entire season, and, Miss parts of uh, 11 and 12, so I haven't done myself any favors with that either. But you know, it's been it's been mixed. Um, oh, in 2011, I played well in AAA and didn't get a shot. But there's a lot of you know when you when you get in the minor league, especially when you get a little bit older, um, just playing well doesn't mean you're going to get called up. And so some of it is being in the right place at the right time. But 
I've seen a ton of guys that have had great years in the minors and, and they don't get a chance to go up. Um, so basically, you just got to play well. And like you said earlier, hopefully somebody's watching you, you play well, and, and you get that chance. But a lot of it is about being in the right place at the right time. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely right about that. Now, in 2008, you got a chance to, you know, get a get a brief cup of coffee with the San Diego Padres. Was mm-hmm. there was 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 there anything to you that was more disappointing afterwards? To uh, let's say 2009, 2010, 2011 goes on, and to not get that chance again, does it discourage you at all, or does it motivate you to try to, you know, get better or get yourself, you know, like like we said, in the right place at the right time to get yourself back to where you got to right. be. Right. Um, yeah, I was more discouraged in how I played uh, those last few years. Um, you know, I got called up in 2008, and it probably wasn't because I played well. I had a, actually, a re- it was my worst season. Um, you know, I did well the last month and got called up, but I think that call up was more because I played well the year before, and I was a high pick, and I and they kind of were hoping that I was going to be able to get up there and do well, and 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 I didn't. My performance wasn't good that year and it wasn't good the next few years. Um, so that was the real discouraging part is that I, I got my opportunity and I, you know, they don't come around every day. I got mine and I didn't capitalize on it. So um, basically all I do now is keep working hard and, and hope that I can play well enough again, get the opportunity and this time, you know, do a much better job of capitalizing on it than I did last time. That's really my only focus. Now, right now, you're, you're, are you primarily playing second base, or have you have you played other positions? Or are you just looking to? Are, are you have you been playing most of the time at second base? Yeah, uh, you know, I came up as I got drafted as a third baseman, but they moved okay. me to second, and I, I was primarily a second baseman for you know four or five years. Um, and then when I went over to Washington, I kind of became more of a utility guy. I played second and third mostly, with a little bit of short and a little bit outfield. And then last year in Baltimore, and then when I went over to New York, it was kind of the same thing. I moved around. So, um, you know, I don't know exactly what my role will be, and it kind of switches from team to team, how they view you. But um, I've gotten a lot of interest at third base, actually. So my guess is it's either going to be third or second, and there's always that possibility of kind of being in the utility role since I've played a bunch of positions in my career. But, um you know, at this point, it was it was nice to have a, a primary position when I was younger. But at this point, to stay in the game, it's a little bit easier to be a guy that can move around and bounce around a little bit. So, you know, I'm basically going to do whatever the team needs me at or whatever they think uh, is my best role uh, at this point in my career. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, fair enough, man. Listen, I want to thank you for having some time and come come on the show today. You know, I wish you the best of luck. I uh, hope to see you in spring training somewhere and uh, hope, hopefully you get back to the major league soon. Well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Anytime, man. Hopefully next time we talk, uh, we'll be talking about what, what uh, Major League team you play for. That's excellent. I, I thank you very much. All right, man. Take care. All right. We'll see you. All right. That was Matt Antonelli. He's uh, he's uh, he's been a roving player in the minor leagues for the last couple of years, originally drafted by the San Diego Padres. And he ends up uh, you know, recently with Baltimore, traded to the Yankees. And he's been an infielder that, you know, uh, apparently he'll be somewhere because uh, you know if you heard him at the beginning of the interview he he was seemed very confident that he was he was nearing uh, you know discussions or close to a deal with somewhere and you know like I mentioned before on the past ball show you heard me talk about how teams are looking to you know add some depth uh, take chances on guys and you know Matt Antonelli a former first round draft pick certainly has some upside still.
You know, he's age 27 now. It's not like he's 37. You know, there's there's a, there's a lot of a lot of players that come through, have a little tough times in the minors, and end up finding themselves. And I think teams are looking at that similarly to the way that a guy like Matt is looking to latch on with a team. You know, he's looking for an opportunity to play. I think teams are looking for that diamond in a rough. You know, for a guy that maybe they could bring in on a minor league contract and end up, uh, you know, using them. You know, either as a utility player, or maybe even an everyday player. But uh, you know, Matt was you know nice enough to have some time today, and you know, obviously wish him the best of luck, and hopefully, uh, hopefully he could end up uh, you know playing. Maybe maybe he's down in Florida. Maybe I'll get to see him when I go down to uh, Port St. Lucie. But listen, we're going to take a quick, uh, let's say about a thirty second break. We're going to finish up the first hour. Lots more in a pass ball show coming after this. Hey everyone, this is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to mtrradio.com. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android market and iPhone App Store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> oh. MTR Radio. Oh, yeah. Welcome back. Pass Ball Show on TR Radio Network. John Pielli finishing up hour one. Um, looks like we will have Rob Carson on in a second hour. So those of you tuning in waiting for that interview, just stay. And I figure it'll be about hopefully about 6.10, 6.15. Um, if we don't hear anything by then, then I'll uh, I'll give you the bad news. But, uh, you know, it looks like we'll have him on sometime in the 6 o'clock hour. But once again, thanks to Matt Antonelli for a you know, solid interview. Good perspective of a guy who is – Trying to get a spot, man. He played in 2008 with the San Diego Padres, and since then has been up and down in different organizations, different minor league teams, whether it's Washington, whether it's Baltimore, the Yankees. You know, the guy's looking to get a chance. So hopefully we get to see him in spring training, and, you know, if he catches enough eyes, you know, maybe he could end up getting up here. But I'm going to finish off my talk, and we're going to go back into the past, like we like to do on a past ball show. We like to stick here, talk about stuff that's about perspective things of – what teams look like, what teams are looking to do, uh, what team's good now. But let's go back to the past for a little bit. Because I mentioned before a little bit about Nellie Fox. And Nellie Fox's uh, his, his birthday would have been the other day. He would have turned, if I'm not mistaken, 83, 84, something like that. But uh, Nellie Fox, I think, I'm sorry, 85. I'm sorry, born in 27. So that would be, yeah, 85. But he passed away, of course, in 1975 at a very young age. Had a very good career for the mostly the Chicago White Sox, a little bit with the Houston Astros prior to that, the Philadelphia Athletics. But is known mostly as a Chicago White Sox second baseman. Uh, the MVP in the 1959 season, uh, the AL MVP in the 1959 season, a season that the White Sox made to the World Series, lost to the Dodgers, uh, Al Lopez's team, and was Probably the best player on that team. And we talk all the time about the changes of position and the changes of expectations at each position. And you look nowadays with the Ryan Sandbergs and the Jeff Kents of the world bringing more power into second base. And it wasn't always like that. We talk all the time about shortstop changing the way it did with Cal Ripken and Alex Rodriguez. And to some extent, Derek Jeter. Second base was known as kind of a punch-and-judy position. And Nellie Fox fit that role perfectly. He was a guy that could bat at the top or bottom of your order. He could run 
He could play good defense. Doesn't really have that much power. He did, was not a power hitter at all. But he went out there and was an impossible guy to strike out. What I thought was most fascinating about Nelly Fox was the fact that in his entire career, and obviously saying he played 19 seasons is a little bit of an exaggeration because his first two in his last season, he didn't play at all that much. So in 16 years, 16 full major league seasons, this guy struck out 216 times. And I find that absolutely outstanding. And I know we talked about a lot, a lot of the players at the beginning of the century, the early 1900s, before uh, the, the, the juiced ball era or the home run era with Babe Ruth and everything, that players would do anything not to strike out. They'd throw the bat at the ball. Anything near the plate, they'd just stick the bat out and just hit a little roller to the pitcher so they wouldn't strike out. Nelly Fox was the hardest hitter to strike out in baseball history. And 16 years with 216 strikeouts in his entire career, never struck out more than 18 times in one season, tells that story. Because you got guys like Mark Reynolds, Ryan Howard, Adam Dunn, Drew Stubbs, guys who could strike out 216 times in one season. And some have. And this guy struck out 216 times in his entire career. Does have a resume, too. For a second baseman, 291 average, 2,663 hits, 112 triples, 719 walks to go with that 216 strikeout. So that's almost, that's over a 3-to-1 ratio of walks to strikeouts for a major league hitter. And that just doesn't happen nowadays. So the problem I had was what took him so long? Or what took the baseball writers and eventually the Veterans Committee. So long to put this guy in the Hall of Fame. He didn't get there until 1997. Now when he passed away, unfortunately, in 1975, that was his fifth year of eligibility. There were still ten more years. And his last year of eligibility in 1985, he received 74.7% of the vote. Just two votes shy of getting in. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that was the closest somebody has ever gotten without getting in. And that happened to be his 15th and final season of eligibility. And the Veterans Committee wises up in 1997 and finally lets him in. But uh, MTR is going to have us take a break here for the next five minutes or so. But um, we're going to come back to the second hour. Lots more going on in the past ball show right after this. Saber metric. 